0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Welcome. Hey, everybody. It's Ned. I am so happy to be here. It feels like it's been about five years since the last episode. I've lived through that much of a couple weeks. And uh, I made it, though. I'm here. I am alive still. Um, Just kind of a quick update. We got back into San Quentin with our Alive Inside programming just a couple days ago. That's like the first event we've held with community in San Quentin since before the pandemic. Um, I mean, our Alive Inside programming. I've been going in a lot every week um, with some other suicide prevention, peer support facilitation, but to get back to that community and hold space with a bunch of musicians that work in our organization and that we know through our our network of, of lovely, creative human beings. It was something else to get back there. And it's a way that I believe like my commitment to the podcast where it's just like, this is, we keep being here. We will keep being here. Um, Like showing up as community that you can keep tapping in through the podcast, but all our other stuff going on. We got a new grief workshop that just got announced writing and music in October, And last night at Freight and Salvage, a concert curated night, our first one since before the pandemic, too. Uh, We did a show right before the pandemic at the Independent here in San Francisco, sold it out over 700 people, our 10th anniversary show. And then the pandemic happened and boop, you know the rest. And then last night was our first concert back at it. The singer and the songwriter opened the night. We had Tongo, Ice, and Martin, the uh, SF Poet Laureate. He's been on the show. And then the Feelings Parade, you know, because um, they were just on a recent episode kind of gearing up for their album release and and for this big show. It was a sellout night, so incredible to be together, So so good to be in that kind of mortally conscious community, connecting, creatively cathartic space. And cry and laugh and dance and listen and and sing and so all the things. So I'm feeling all that, and I am here, ready to get out this new sweet special episode. So just real quick introduction to this conversation. Back in 2001, 2001, I'm just listening to music during that stretch. You know that led up to my mother's death. Um, and I, I also was kind of in the, what am I doing with my life in general and figuring out kind of what, what and who I was, what I'm doing, who I am down in LA. And I think it was right around then I started to read a lot of beat literature and, And um, really was feeling that influence, which ultimately would lead to me being here, really talking to you. Uh, The quick version of that story is that I moved from L.A. after my mom died and came back up to uh, Northern California, to San Francisco, though. Um, I grew up in Redding, California, on the northern side of California. And Went down to LA after college, but realized after my mom died, I wanted to go to San Francisco. I wanted to live in San Francisco, and I wanted to go back to school in San Francisco and study English literature, beat literature. This will all make sense in a second. A focus on beat literature. So I'm reading a lot of beat literature in those years leading up to that move, and I don't know, when you really love something, you obsess over it, which I did for, for a chunk of time back then. You're kind of like paying attention for any version of it that you can get. And somehow, I don't remember how. Um, it might have been my my good friend at that time, Aaron Shea. Um, she might have introduced me to this, this, this guy. But Clem Snide is our musical guest in the episode today. And so I just am feeling that like personally, how I love so much. All the years it's taken to grow an organization, to do what we do all the time and have that be so much a part of my life, like grateful for that. And then also knowing like the years have led to a point where I could have a podcast and invite someone like this on the show and they'd say, yes, like what a treat. I just got to say so. But uh, I'm listening to Clem Snide back in those days and loving his music. And um, the the name behind Clem Snide is Eve Barzillet. And that's our guest for today. And so just the quick nutshell of introduction is he is one of my favorite musicians. I've been listening to him for a couple decades now. And so what a treat to have him here. And then to get to talk to him and find out that really almost like simultaneously, I'm listening to his music, losing my mother, my dying mom, and he's creating music and losing his mother. And there's a way for me that what I just articulated is the intersection of musicians and how they're in my life and how they matter and music matters for me in a way I've talked about more than enough on the show. But then the special fact of how impossible to finally get to chat and find out that that was a connection back then. Like maybe we feel these things happening through music and musicians, their, their ability to take the things that they live through and give them gift wrap them in a song for us to get as medicine. And that's, that's how I've listened to Eve's music for so long. And so that's it. That's what I want to say. I'm really grateful for this episode. I love the chance I got to talk to Eve and so glad to be sharing it here with all of you our fine listeners. Um, Thank you. And before I start, I'm just going to do something I haven't been doing a lot lately, which is, hey, if you're listening, you're loving it right now before the conversation starts, go in and click a rating. Uh, I'd love to see a star. I'd love to see those numbers bump up. And you're like, why does that matter? We're all going to die someday. Okay, get over yourself. Well, it matters because it helps us connect to more listeners. And that's it. And, And in fact, it helps us get more guests. So if you like what happens here on You're Going to Die, the podcast, support it just by giving us a rating. You can do it in Spotify really easily. You can do it in Apple Podcasts very easily, and you can add words of praise and help us get you know, visibility by by rating what, what happens here and what it means to you, the value it has for you. That would mean a lot. So go ahead and do that. I'll wait. Um, we won't start the interview until you've you've finished. Bye. Okay. Okay, that's enough. Welcome, all of you and your little ear canals, to this episode of "You're Going to Die" the podcast with Eve Barzale.
1: Yeah, like I, I lost my mom to cancer right, right around that same time. Before. Oh wow. Um. Two of the, the the realizations that came to me yeah, after she died, and we were close, you know, was that uh, after she died, she became sort of a character to me. I realized that that once you die, then your story is complete, and then all that's left is your story, you know. And so hmm. I thought I thought a lot about how how we just kind of live, how our yeah our life story is. We uh, I mean, don't think about it while we're living it too much obviously because we're still kind of right in the in the thick of it but once you die and your story ends it's like you become yeah you become immortal in a sense your story is immortal you know mm. whether anybody tells it or it's written down i mean obviously that helps but but anyway so i saw her more as a, as a character and i began to relate to her and i thought a lot about her just as almost like a literary character she was kind of a madame bovary sort of quality to mm. her life you know. She. She was a very romantic person who was very unhappy, <clears throat> but anyway, mm-hmm. but then she, and then like you were saying, after she died, I, I had this, this strong sense of, of, uh, the preciousness of life. And I felt like when you're, when a parent dies, it's kind of like the last and maybe the most important lesson. Yeah. I felt like she was showing me what death was, you know, mm-hmm. cause I watched her slowly wither away and die. It took about two years. It was heartbreaking. Uh, she had ovarian cancer. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so she was like, here, you know, this is death. Like, take a look at it. I'm going to go through it to show you kind of what awaits you, unfortunately. And, but also you're not dead, you're alive. So yeah, like the the sort of preciousness of life became much more clear to me, Mm -hmm. uh, as a result. So in a way I thought, yeah, I like, I thought of it in that sense that, that when your parent dies it's 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 almost like a, the greatest act of love that they can do for you mm-hmm. to show you death and to and to make you realize in the in the deepest way as much as you're willing to realize that that your life is precious and mm-hmm. yeah you shouldn't wait you shouldn't waste it I, too much, I, you
0: know? yeah i obviously relate to that you know no surprise um and, and I understand, I think the way you're describing it is like, that's the act, you know, it's almost like, it's always that way when the parent dies in a way, I know that's not maybe true for everybody, but that in a way you're saying like that inevitability is something for us, the children, you know, of the parent. Um, but. Right. It, because nobody,
1: I, I don't think anybody, like we can't, we can't really, we can't, we can't, uh, uh, what's the word? Yeah. We comprehend maybe, but we, we can't like grasp death mm. i think you know we i think to live like a normal day-to-day life obviously you can't you, you have to keep the fact of your inevitable death kind of out of your mind you know mm. just to function and and a parent dying sort of doesn't let you do that anymore and forces you to confront it and yeah and i think i i've always i like to i try and like one of my sort of spiritual exercises whatever is a kind of yeah, it's like the, the noble, you know, one of the noble truths, right? The inevitability like you're going like every time you're in a really tough situation you can say, well, you know, I'm just, I'm going to be dead soon, like you know <laughs> yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like if I you do remind yourself <laughs> of your own death, it kind of yeah. a lot of the bullshit in your life just magically vanishes, you totally. know.
0: Totally. So,
1: yeah, so there's so yeah, and that way it's it's the ultimate lesson or it's Mm -hmm. definitely one of the ultimate uh, lessons that that we can like really you have to see it you can't really see a movie about it or read a book about it just someone that you love dies you know then it's like it can't get more real than that you know what i'm saying
0: yeah yeah i do know uh you know and because i felt like i got pulled into something like i always described it and I've described it so many times in this way, but, you know, she was in some kind of wormhole, you know, and my, how I was woven with her. Cause we had a, you know, obviously a strong relationship in so many ways and we're connected in so many ways, you know, it's healthy and, and loving. And that time when I moved home with her was such a big deal. in so, so many good, good, good ways. And when she died, you know, it was like, I felt like Right away, I felt like I was pulled into some hole, you know, with her, wherever she went. And that part of me was there and still is. Um, and, and, and that, that clearing, you know, that happens in the death. Like you said, it levels everything. It levels the bullshit and doesn't make, mean that it's not hard. It's not just about like seeing everything in inspiring ways, you know, it's all precious and, you know, live well. In fact, it's also, it it's it It's cast a hue in some, some ways in my life, you know, negatively in, in shadows. Um, but, there's the, the truth is really in there, um, in facing that. Um, and I think of extension of my question that I'm wondering about for you and your mom, you know, with my mom, I know what you're describing is true, but she didn't talk to me about it. You know, I remember when I moved home with her for that year, she was really ill at the beginning of that year and got progressively better so that I moved away after a year and went back down to LA. And then she died uh, about five months after that. It just suddenly got really bad, almost like one week. It just got really bad. And I think her liver probably had um, the cancer had moved into her organs. And and so it was just like sudden, but she'd gotten better. And, you know, this like, okay, we did it again. 13 years of this, she's back and we'll keep at it, you know, but, um, what I, what I remember from that moving home though, when she was ill, the, 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 the sickness that brought me home is I, I remember sitting on her bed and saying, you know, sitting with her, and she said, she asked me, am I gonna die? And, um, you know, I was, you know, I feel like I'm still a kid in so many ways, but for sure then, you know, I'm 20s, early 20s, and I'm just like, how do you respond to your parent asking you that? But I mentioned that to say, like, that's the only time she talked to me about her dying. You know, she didn't have a will set up. I lived with her that whole year. It didn't really come up ever. I moved away. It never was mentioned. And then that last week of her life, she was so sick. She couldn't talk, you know, really. And so I'm bringing that up to share that. I know you're right. And I'm wondering with your mom, if there was a lot of talk, I mean, did she really offer it to you in a, like we're, this is happening and we're talking about it.
1: Oh no, not at all. It was, uh, it was, yeah, no, there was, a she was kept, she didn't even know she was going to die. Mm. Like I got the call from my dad I happened, I was recording. uh, I remember very specifically (laughs) Jews for Jesus blues in Brooklyn. (laughs) Um, And I got a call from him and he said, uh, you know, we're at the hospital. The doctor said I should call you and your brother because he thinks that your mother has two days to live. And so you should Mm. just come and say goodbye. So everybody came to the hospital, friends, family to basically say goodbye to her. And yet, they didn't tell her that she only had two days to live. Mm. Like they kept her. It was always like, "Oh, this next treatment's going to do it." You know, there was never, there was never a throwing in of the towel. Um, And so, I came to say goodbye to her, and Mm. I got there, and I remember I asked, you know, does she know or whatever? And they said, "No, we're not telling her. We don't. We don't want to upset her." You know, so just kind of say goodbye, but don't. You know, it was so. Mm. fucked up like I was Mm -hmm. like I felt so bad that's what made me feel bad like the worst about the whole I mean whatever there's a lot of things feel terrible in that moment a lot of the the way that I feel about death and I feel like her like she didn't die a good death you know she died in a kind of desperate hope that she wasn't going to die even Mm -hmm. when everyone around her knew she was yeah. And then I felt, and then when I was there saying goodbye to her, she 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 kept apologizing for like not being a good mother. Like she was mm. full of regret. Yeah, you know? and I was like, no. And I felt so bad, you know. Mm. Please, I was like, please, like don't. You were a great mother. Like please, don't die with regret, you yeah. know. And it really broke my heart. That uh, that that you know, she had a complicated life. You know, a lot of issues, whatever. Uh, I mean. You know, so uh yeah so i don't know if that's answering your question no yeah, me and my no, mom sure. have yeah. like like deep philosophical conversations about the nature of death not at all we everybody pretended like it
0: wasn't going <laughs> yeah right which is basically so the approach wildly common <laughs> you know especially <laughs> because, because we
1: can't you know there's like did you ever read that book that uh, that uh can't remember the author's name It's like basically called denial of death. And, and, uh,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Ernest Becker. Reading, read yeah.
1: Ernest Becker. Yeah. Years mm-hmm. ago I read it, but yeah, I mean, I mean that's his, his basic premise is that people just can't. It's
0: <laughs> the only way to survive living. Yeah. yeah it's not because it, yeah. it's,
1: our brains can't handle it. You uh-huh. know? We can't imagine not being, not existing, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, and I take that. I mean, I interpret that as, you know, I'm a, a believer. Isn't even the right word. I mean, yeah. I, I know that, that we, that like our, 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 that we live on after death. Like I just, I mean, I think about that a lot. That's a whole other, I don't know, a whole other conversation. Of your podcast. I'm, I'm down. Let's it's pull that.
0: the threads. Yeah. Whatever you want to get to. But
1: I, uh, I mean, I think about it a lot and mm-hmm. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I was raised by godless Jews. So I was raised very, very atheist. And my mother also was kind of so like
0: practicing, but died. not, not, Like, would you do some of the, no, nothing. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Nothing,
1: nothing at all. Just godless (laughs) Zionist Jews (laughs) that that projected it all. And, uh, yeah, but, but I realized for me, I I just don't, for me, for, for all this to even begin to make sense, it like, like death has, death isn't the end. Death is like just the beginning. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Death Mm is a, that, that, uh, yeah, like life just, life just, yeah, it feels, it feels absurd to me that, that we don't, that it all, you know, that upon death all, like all will be revealed, you know, Mm. you'll, you'll know, you'll know that the, the, you know, I, I want to use, I want the example I want to give you. I mean, I don't know if you, if you watch a lot of, you know, like near death sort of accounts, people that have died and come Mm -hmm. back. I mean, that, the, the one I did, you know, I did one, I had a good friend of mine as old, the old friend from Nashville that I I interviewed for the, you know, for that podcast that I I have. I don't know if you want to plug that, but, but uh, it was, it was the last one. It just came out last week. It was a song for Joshua Payne. And, uh, and he, yeah, he had, he was, he got, he had a near death experience. He was, he was walking a dog, the dog, uh, near some grave, you know, a cemetery. And there was a little pond there that had an electrical thing that was like miss, uh, you know, some, something was wrong with it. So the dog went to take a drink and, and got electrocuted and he went to grab the dog and he got electrocuted and basically died. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and yeah, he said he was standing about 20 feet away from his body and he could see his body laying there with the dog dead any and any the, the sense he had was that yeah that's not who I am that's just what houses me mm. this is this is what I am like he had this very immediate and deep sense that you know what I'm saying so mm-hmm. that's just one example I mean there's like you know we could there's you can go on YouTube and watch countless like near-death accounts yeah um, and uh, so anyway that's I I've I realized for me that, like I, I have to, yeah, I just I just need, I need to believe that I want to believe it. I do believe it. I feel mm. it. That's, that's, if anything, that's my, I know like, you know, the, you know the, the the way that I confront death or the way that I try and deal with the, you know, the existential horror of our, of death um, is, is, is with, with that, you know, with that sense that, mm-hmm. that it, because And another, uh, the thing, another, uh, I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking about a conversation. Another thing that I, that I use is, is when, when you, whenever you hear about, uh, whenever you hear about just some random, like absurd death, you know, uh, like those kind of stories, there's so many, uh, you know, where somebody's, you know, whatever, like a selfie, trying to take a selfie. Oh yes. Yes. yes,
0: Yes. Yes.
1: And, or I've, there's so many, some, I, I just heard one about a couple that was driving back from their wedding reception when their friends were behind them and they were full of joy and the car slid off the road and they both died. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I laugh, but you know what I'm saying? Like that no. happens. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that it
0: does happens. happen. It does.
1: And or the one, and there was one, I popped up on the internet recently where it was like these two guys in the Philippines were working in some factory with like compressed air and they were just fucking around and the one guy like, you know, took the compressed air gun and like sort of jokingly stuck it in the dude's butt, you know, he was wearing oh my pants. God. He was just like oh, oh, oh. My and, and God. somehow he managed to blast compressed air up into his small intestine, it ruptured and the guy died. Oh so my I, God. I, I know, you hear stories <laughs> like that and you're like the life like that life is so that it could just end so pointlessly and uh, so yeah. absurdly Ridiculous. to me yeah,
0: disturbingly. That, yeah.
1: That, that, that what's on the other side is, is has to be more real. You know what mm, I'm saying? This can't yeah. like mm. the world can't exist. A human being like it just it negates the the glory of existence. You know mm. that? You know what I'm saying? Like the, yeah. that it's so like that your body is the most complicated. You as an as a conscious individual is the most complicated thing in the known universe. You know mm. it's you, Ned, and mm. me. You know what I'm saying? Our All bodies, right. our eyes, like and whatever you can dismiss it all and say oh it's evolution it's survival of the fittest blah blah that that doesn't that doesn't necessarily settle the matter like the fact that that you exist and yet your body could just die so it's so f- uh, fragile and so mm. and and it does die i mean even if you don't have compressed air blown up your butt and, and you live <laughs> you live to be 100 and surrounded by friends Somehow, and family on your deathbed
0: right. uh, yeah
1: it's still that you still are going to die so it, <laughs>
0: I just really I really love, you know, I don't know if you watch like Faces of Death a lot. I mean, I just got into that stuff in high school. It's like, geez, Louise,
2: I I don't don't even know how I put myself through that. (laughs) You did.
0: I
1: watched all four Faces of Death on Christmas Day, 1996 (laughs) with my depressed friend, Eric.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, all four. Yeah, just my buddies. That's insane. I just remember trying to get through one and writhing on the floor, covering my face with my buddies, just like couldn't believe it but but I, I i'm it's the first time i've thought of those movies in a while and of course all these little connections you know what i'm talking about you know like how did we even get those i feel like they must have been at the video store yeah you know
1: the, the, the video store I, you I feel like in I went to
0: Blockbuster, you know and got them you know yeah. <laughs> maybe but, the, San the San Francisco well world. no Redding California I don't know but uh, we watched them and, but I love this because all, all of that just disturbing horrific sudden wildly unpredictable deaths and I've never heard someone articulate what maybe is those humans deserve which is like the, beyond the absurdity you're still like spirit and grace and like atoms and magic and sacredness you know? And in this time in our culture of like using death in a way that, you know, it's, it's a tricky thing to name an organization. You're going to die in a time where we like sensationalize, you know, what's going to get clicked. I know what post you're talking about, about the, the couple that fell off the cliff, you know, cause I clicked on it and people see it. And, and in a way I feel like my, I don't know if everybody relates to this, but there's the drawn towards it, like this sensationalized version of what's inevitable. We want to get close to something through it. And I wonder what I wonder if what we want to get close to is what you're actually articulating for the first time for me, which is like there's something past that. You know, it's like once you read the craziness of this, this death, there's something else there which which maybe you're giving me here and it's that like there there is more you know like it's there's so much more beyond well, there has
1: there has there has to be you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying it just yes. it just doesn't make any sense unless yeah. <laughs> and, and I think I think about it a lot too because I'm you know I'm a I have to live in this world and I and I and I'm conscious when I'm talking to people to not uh, come off like a complete you know sort of kook um, I mean, you know, it depends who you're talking to. Exactly. I think being, doing what I do allows me a certain amount of wiggle room. Like I, I yeah. don't have to pre- present myself as a reasonable person.
0: This will uh, be no, the I'm first not. podcast episode ever talking about a compressed air going up an asshole and killing someone, But which is yeah. Luck, yeah. Luck, lucky, to, lucky to have you in the unique ways we get to. Yes, I get it. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I think that the status quo – Interpretation of reality is a more is a more like material. Or people are maybe yeah. People admit to being vaguely spiritual, but I think for the most part, yeah, we don't mm. we don't have any way to to we don't have any meaningful like ritualistic maybe ways to confront death mm. in a way that maybe more primitive or you know older kind of uh, societies did Mm because it was more like we're able to kind of ignore it more and uh and so yeah anyway so i'm trying to make some larger point that i yeah i've made people uncomfortable at parties you know because i like to talk about (laughs) this kind of stuff but most people just don't know what to say and they don't want to think about it they don't want to (laughs) talk about it so i get it you know
0: So I think you get it by now, how much I believe that creativity and and artistic expression, you don't have to be an artist, but that if if we make time for these things, there is a healing and there is a healing, not just for us, but in maybe those we give it to. And I believe that about Eve's music and, and I think I've articulated as much, um, in the episode already. And, and so many of the musicians, of course, oh, uh, you know how I feel, but also just that reminder, you know, I do this work with cancer patients too, uh, multiple workshops all week long, going into patients' rooms at the hospital and, and doing creativity with them and giving them that catharsis and, and needing to remind them when I first introduced myself that it's okay they, they they don't think they're an artist, I get it, but that we just let that go because what the heck does that mean anyway? That we just let ourselves like do, you know? Like do- doodle, draw, write, just let it out, uh, splatter paint, like make sounds and that there's something happening that we we need that's a different medicine from any other kind of healing that comes from that. Um, and my history of getting here is so much believes in that. And it's almost like creativity was first with you're going to die. Creative expression was first before really the mortality thing took hold. You're going to die. Get it out of yourself. Like give it away. Get it out in front of you even. Not even necessarily have to give it to the public, to the other human beings, but give it to yourself. Like let it be in front of you. Let it be in your hands. And um, so, you know, me saying that, feeling that, doing that work and having so many of the organization human beings that run you're going to die and, and are a part of what we do at our events. Like they're people who do that. And Nick Jana, the producer, is one of those people. He does You're Going to Die with me. And um, he does a whole lot of other stuff. And the music you know by now well and you might have picked up on the other kind of thing he does in the world, which is writing. And so it felt good in a way that fits, I think, now that I've talked about it for a long time, um, into this episode to give him a chance to share both some of his music, because he scored his own babbling body. (laughs) That's not, that sounded really condescending. No, let me try that again. Keep this in, Nick. Don't edit that out. Uh, Nick has scored his own murmuring meandering that's not i'm just trying for an alliteration let me just be more specific and direct uh nick has scored himself reading from his new book spectrum and we want to share that with you here and
2: now i want you to imagine that after your own death you become a spirit you live still in a way in between the walls or across an inexplicable divide and you can still see the people you love but you are dead and you realize how much more you love them because now you are unable to touch them or make them laugh or eat popcorn together and you just want to tell them thank you, I'm sorry, thank you, I'm sorry, thank you. Some people will say I don't know, I don't believe in that woo-woo stuff while you, the spirit, are standing right there A formless, bodiless ghost, wishing you could taste a satsuma orange again and feel the juice drip down your wrist. You cringe because you are that woo-woo stuff they don't believe in. You are the mystery in a book that they have closed without reading. You are the puzzle that has too many pieces and your loved ones, your family, your own children say, I don't get it. It's too hard. But then, what if just one of them says, well, I'll just try to listen. I'll sit here and light a candle and see and maybe... Well, I don't know. Imagine you, the ghost, standing there. Unable to talk with those you love so much. Unable to tell them it's okay. Everything you go through, it's okay. I love your voice when you hum to yourself as you're pouring tea and I love the way you pull your sleeves over your hands. You aren't able to say any of that because you're on the other side so you're only able to make the candle flicker or maybe get the cat to prick his ears up or swing the gate back and forth and make it squeal. But you know that you are still real. And someone says, oh, that? No, that's just the gate. That's just the cat being weird. Candles flicker all the time. That's what they do. But your avenues of expression are so limited that you only have candles and cats and gates. You can't send a text message. You can't grab someone by the arm. You know only this. Everyone you love, living and dead, is still real. You will go to such great lengths to reach them. You will cross impossible wilderness, long blue lakes. If the spirits could get the living to do just one thing for them, it would be to try to listen.
1: I mean, I'm terrified. You know, I'm terrified, like, I'm terrified you of of uh of it Mm -hmm. Uh, like everyone else you know I don't I don't know anything more than anyone else does but just for me yeah like the realization I came to when I I sort of died in a way I realized that you die like throughout life you know former versions of yourself die Mm -hmm. like one time when I was like 19 or 20 years old and I you know I was just sort of leaving home and and I was feeling sort of sentimental, I guess. And I, I remembered my dad mentioned once that he used to record me when I was really little. You know, he had all this recording equipment. So I just kind of brought it up. And he and he went down the basement and dug out the old, you know, reel-to-reel two-inch or whatever, quarter-inch tape. And, like, you know, put it on the machine and hits play. And I hear this, this like, little child, you know, with this... And I was born in Israel, so it was like speaking Hebrews before I even knew how to speak English. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So it was like speaking a different language, which makes it even more poignant. And, uh, and I, I, I became overwhelmed with grief. Like I couldn't cond- – I, be- I had to run into the bathroom and sob hysterically. Mm. And I felt that little boy that I was hearing was dead. And that mm. I kill and that I killed him I felt <laughs> yeah. this weird guilt I, don't, my pa- I remember looking at my parents' faces when we were listening to it and they looked so sad you know they had this like faraway look in their eyes and uh and then yeah so that like the boy that you were the 10 year old version of you the 20 year old version they're dead they're for all intents and purposes they they have died so you yeah. do die throughout your life is a constant sort of dying and, and letting and shedding of, of mm-hmm. who you are so uh Yeah. So in the end, the very end uh, should be just a culmination of that. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm just the other day, my son's 11 and, you know, we just went on this trip, our usual summer trip up to Oregon. And um, he's just like so sentimental and and already just weirdly nostalgic about like when he was littler and um, he had this moment where he was, I was sort of talking about just how, kind of wild it is to know that there's only so many summers left that he'll be living at home and that we'll go on this trip. And when he started crying and was just sharing that he, he's like, I don't want to grow up, you know? And, and just ultimately he said, he said, before I know it, my funeral is going to be here. This is my 11 year old. I'm like, Oh God, like hopefully this year going to die nonprofit influences and happening, us uh, more strongly than I'd like. But, but it had it had this moment for me that was intense and also kind of heartbreaking, but, and, and knowing that there could be, there will be more of that when we think back to what's gone and these versions of ourselves and parts of our life that are dead, you know? Um, but also the, the realization too of, um, You reminded me what I want him to remember, which is, which is this, like the here and nowness that we get to have in relationship to what's been lost, you know? And I just early version of trying to remind him of the practice of relishing at 11, you know, even how fleeting everything is like, this is yours, in this way that I want your par I wanted your parents to not look sadly off in the distance. I wanted them to turn to you and be like, you were so sweet and we're so glad you're here and now, (laughs) but you're watching them be sad and you ran off to the bathroom to cry, you know? Um, And I get how that would happen, but just wanting this reminder, you're inspiring me to just tell my son like, this is, you're here though, you know, like, we get to have this together still and, and new versions of it, new stages, new versions of ourselves that we'll get to share with each other. But I'm certainly more inclined to the like, Oh, what's been lost. What is no more and feeling that.
1: I mean, yeah, you could, you could just grieve forever. You know, if you, yeah. if you wanted to, you could think about all the friends and all the, time the good times and the people and the i mean i'm i'm fifty two now so yeah, if I wanted to, I could sit back and just you know sort of rifle through that that uh, that
2: do that you photo
0: not not so much no I more and more i uh you yeah know, now I guess real quick wait to kind of clarify this this question how do you what is different from that younger version of you who heard that younger version of you like you know what I mean? Like if you listen to the audio of that moment now, what's different about your relationship to mortality and, and that eventuality and the past, you know, now, how could you articulate your perspective? Um, I know that's kind of, it's a tricky question, but.
1: No, I, uh, I think I've, I've gotten a lot harder. (laughs) I've Mm. gotten a lot colder inside. Mm. I don't, uh, you know, that was, I mean, there's certain times in your life, you know, pivotal transitional periods. I My experience has been that, that every, yeah, every, every 10 years, I mean, it seems to line up pretty, pretty accurately, you know, every seven to 12 years, let's say, um, you, you tend to go through some kind of a something, somebody dies, divorce, uh, you know, something big happens, some kind of a, that's been my experience. And so now I, I try not to get roiled by these things so much. And I try to just, yeah, like I don't, I hold on loosely, you know what I'm saying? Hold on loosely. Mm. But don't let go. Right. If you cling too tightly,
2: mm-hmm. you're yeah, going to lose it loosely. Yeah. Like 38 special,
1: very deep, uh, very wise song. So mm. I try to hold on loosely and, uh, Yeah, I try, I try not to, I try not to take things too personally, you know, I try not to even, I try to keep myself, I try to, yeah, I try not to, I try not to like say that's mine, you know, I try not not to make everything mine and, and just sort of try and just be with, with life and not so much have it be like my life and how's my life doing and is my life, how does my life look, you know, how does my, did I go... Like, I don't, I think a lot of people are always like curating their own life, especially with like social media, whatever, you know, I think people are, yeah, it's all you have is your life. So you get very, you want it to, you feel like if you're not going to the cool places and doing the cool things and you yeah. feel kind of bad and then you think you're not living up to your potential and, you know, you grapple with all that. I mean, people continue to do that. You know, I just met someone, yeah, like in their 60s and they're still like, I feel like I'm not living up to my potential mm-hmm. And I just want to be like, well, all right, but I mean, you're going to be dead soon anyway, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. in some ways, I try, I try just, I, I'm more, yeah, I try to just not, yeah, I let go, I let go of things.
0: And you, more, you have a uh, kid or a couple kids.
1: I got two kids. Yeah. I got a son who's in college and a 14 year old oh, wow. daughter
0: too. Uh, I mean, I guess now that they're getting older, maybe it's, it's a little different the influence on these ways we look at reality, but maybe the influence has landed, you know, like how our kids start to off put us from the center, uh, main character role. Um, do you feel like oh, yeah. having kids has done, done some version of that for you?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I, uh, I mean, you know, I, I wasn't like my, the younger, when I was younger, I like after high school and then in my twenties, you know, early twenties, I, I really, I was very lost and I, I kind of figured I would just die young. You know, I, I sort of figured I would die some sort of rock, some sort of rock and roll death, you know, I,
0: yeah. I didn't. Not I didn't the compressed air. The Had you thought of that?
1: <laughs> that's, that's like a punk rock right there. I forget about it. G.G. Allen, G.G. You know, Allen, shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just I was very nihilistic, you know. Mm-hmm. As, as a younger man, and and uh, and then I realized as I got older, and eventually I met my wife in my late twenties, and and we got married, and then we had a kid, and then it was like, it was, yeah, life felt bigger than me, you know. And mm-hmm. I was I was just I just had to do what I had to do, and, and there wasn't. You know, sitting around contemplating suicide in some vague kind of romantic, abstract way was wasn't wasn't really that useful. I don't know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I just yeah, I do. It was like it was bigger than me. Like, and I just had to do what I had to do. I think if I didn't have kids, like if I'd have just stayed, yeah, in that sort of self centered, nihilistic kind of perspective, I, I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I, I might not be alive today. Who yeah. knows? You know, I, I, I mean, I was. I didn't have, yeah, I felt very disconnected to myself or disconnected to, to the world in any kind of meaningful way. The only thing that kept me connected was, was yeah, was trying to make some music and trying mm. to write songs. So that's mm-hmm. just what I, I anchored myself. I tethered myself to the world that yeah, way.
0: You did. Um, when I, I want to, sur- I'm not sure how strongly this connects, but it keeps kind of coming up for me talking about your mom. You know, you you described it as her being sort of immortal after her death, and sort of a character. And I'm I, a couple versions of my question are, you know, with music, which I I want to make a little time to t- talk. I love the podcast because I get to talk to people like you. It's like we're not talking about the music really at all, and that's mainly what I want. Like I know your music, people know your music. Like what I love is getting to hear the human behind it uh and especially in this sort of mortality context but i'm wondering if the way you know your mom as a character and 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 know her as sort of a, this immortal character this immortal being is because of this songwriting perspective you know this idea of capturing parts of our past and stories like you do so well with your music um but i want to add to that question this idea like you said that it remind you know with my mom thinking of like my version of how difficult that last those weeks or last years of her life were, um, how, how there was this on her as a character for me was someone who I could keep being in relationship with in fact, and that I could end up having like revelations and growth and, and see her in new ways. And, and actually even like, um, you know, and I think this does speak to the, what you share, like. I can tell you that there's something after death because my mom has lived and is more alive in ways than ever before and less confined by some of the dark story of her life and the depression and anger and alcoholism and whatever, fill in the blank, you know, or even the suffering of her end of life. And so this is this long Commonly for me, this long winded question is, you know, what is that piece for you around your mother as a character and the ongoing relationship with her? And how does music maybe connect to that?
1: The appeal of, of writing songs, like, or just even for me, speaking for myself, like what is so uh, appealing about making, especially music because music, but I think cr- anything, any kind of creative, anytime you, you create some sort of abstract representation of life, let's say, right. Um, is you, yeah, you get to kind of you get to step outside of yourself, you know, you don't have to. And when I say that, I mean, out of your, you get to step outside of your story, uh, or you get to, to play with the story. Like when I write songs, a lot of times it's, it's, it's almost like a parallel universe thing right? kind of, it's me, but it's not me. You know, it's me and somebody I know like fused together. You know what I'm saying? You can, you can sort of blur the edges. And, and yeah, so when she, when my mother died, like I, and I, and I, and I, and, I, and she's gone, you know, like once you die, that's it, like you're gone, you know, so it doesn't matter. You, you know, like if you, you, you become like this abstract, like she became like an abstracted version of who she was in her story and, and how and her story was was there to be interpreted. You know what I'm saying? There's hmm. by me. So in that sense, she continues to exist as a character for me. Uh, I don't know. Am I answering the question? You know, you, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like Absolutely. It's,
0: I mean, I sense that music played a role in that in that like stage or, 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 or part of the life after your mom's death. I I sense that likely your music is a part of what you'd said earlier. You didn't say that you just said she is a character in a way there's a way that you get to be with her, even with you partly as a character, I guess too, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. Like I I was able to to incorporate her into my, into that, into that space that I like to, to inhabit in my imagination, you know, so she, she just, and, uh, and yeah, and it felt right to do that. And, you know, and in some ways it, you know, if I, like, it didn't feel, it felt like I was honoring her by regarding her as just like no different than a, than a literary character. That you know? It
0: felt like you were.
1: Yeah. Like, it, yeah, it totally. Cause the, cause her, her, she's gone, you know, like mm-hmm. you're physically gone from the world and all that's left is, yeah, your story. That's what mm-hmm. remains, you know, your and so I, yeah, I love that everybody, I mean, that's kind of what the podcast is about in a, in a lot of ways, obviously a life in song. Mm-hmm. I, I love hearing somebody's life story, especially the, you know, or something that happened to them within their life yeah. that like transform them. Uh, you know, that's, that's like the most, interesting thing about you is your story you know even if you've even if you're an ordinary you know person that hasn't done anything too spectacular whatever it's still like yours and yours alone like nobody lives your exact life
3: these were Roger Ebert's dying words Did you know these were Roger Ebert's dying words It's all an elaborate hoax It's all ever peaceful looked ever young accepting his moment that soon would be done he wrote in a note that he passed to his wife as he felt himself shedding the skin of this life except there is a vastness that can't be contained or described as a thought in the flesh of our brain it's Everything, everywhere, future and past, dissolving together in eternal flat. Say that he loved her so much His hands seemed to pass through whatever it touched And the credits that rolled listed all of God's names As images floated away from their frames From their frames Did you know these were Roger e? dying words Did you know these were Roger Ebert's dying words It's all an elaborate hoax It's all
0: So one of my favorite songs you just heard by Clem Snide, Roger Ebert. Such a great song. If you want to, if you want to hear more from Clem Snide, you can listen to Eve's Clem Snide projects in all the ways you would expect. But absolutely go to www.clemsnide.de. This is the website. It's going to be in the show notes. But I'm going to say it because it's unique. It's www.clemsni.de. and I'm realizing now, as I say all this to you, that I am, I am uh, remiss for forgetting to tell you what the connection is between Clem Snide and the Beats at the beginning of the episode. And in a way, it's perfect to to circle back because in a second we're going to talk to Nick, Jana, the producer. Nick, hold on, okay, just Nick, just hold on. I'll make some tea. Uh, Can you, Nick? Okay, make some tea. Um, so, the connections are all this, right? You heard Nick's new book, a little excerpt from that, the writing influence, the creativity. But before I get lost again in all my talking, Clem Snide is a character from a William S. Burroughs book. And so that is why I ever found the music in a way, was compelled towards it. And so then started listening to Eve's project, Clem Snide, way back in the early 2000s. And now this new album, that roger ebert is on let me get the name of it real quick forever just beyond assisted by scott avitt from the avitt brothers uh it's a really wonderful album and and that song you just heard yes is among my favorites um, that i could listen to repeatedly you know when you hear a ballad and you just want it to last forever that is what i feel about that song and it just leaves you wanting more when it ends. And I love the truth of it, the story of it. And in fact, Roger Ebert's wife posted on like the Chicago Tribune or, or Roger Ebert's website, like an acknowledgement for Eve creating that song. Anyway, you can find all this stuff online, but connect up to Eve through his project, Clem Snide and all the other Eve albums, because there's also other albums that are just Eve's, um named after his own name. Um, check them all out and also check out the podcast, a life in song with Clem Snide. And you can get to that through the website I gave you moments ago. Nick. oh right. Nick, Nicky there. Oh, uh, Nick Jana. Wow. What a night last night. I feel like I just want to dig into that real quick. Nick was at the show with me that I mentioned at the beginning of this episode in Berkeley at freight and salvage Our sold out return to our curated. You're going to die concerts.
2: And Nick, how was it for you? Uh, it was so cool. Yeah, it's. I, I'm sure you know this feeling of like two and a half years goes by, and it feels like a hundred years, and you can't imagine that anyone's going to remember you or come to another show ever. Again. Yeah, yeah,
0: totally.
2: And then while you're doing it, it feels like it, no time passed at all, and it's just mm-hmm. <laughs> totally natural. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, I feel like it, we've talked about that worry
0: or that question mark uh getting back to some of the in-person shows and even having done some of them especially the open mics and being like yes clear it's worthwhile and people are still figuring out if they ever want to be together with anyone ever again <laughs> uh <laughs> and then last night to have over 500 people like pack that place it's almost like i forgot i felt that way i forgot i was worried about it i forgot it was a question um you're absolutely right it was just like yeah here we are together again
2: yeah all the all the elements were so thoughtfully placed, like Tongo, Ice and Martin reading, mm-hmm, uh, yeah. the Singer and the Songwriter opening, uh, just all the collaborations and guest musicians and they had their moms get up and dance yeah. on the last song. And they like really grooved. <laughs> like there, Totally. There, there were, there were the moms? moms were like yeah. moving. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know a lot of moms that would like, get into it like that. I mm. was so happy. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. I just got kind of emotional. <laughs> yeah. I uh
0: Yeah. I had that moment of both like um envy, you mm-hmm. know, wanting my mom to get up there, you know, be able to get up there and I I think yeah. almost instantly like just her presence still. Um like feeling that very human, natural, like, Oh, I miss her. I wish she was here. And then, uh, then a like, Oh, there you are. Kind of, you know, almost like in an instant, um, that was a really special end of the night and almost gave me my mom. Um, uh, even though she's not alive to like get up on stage and truly, truly, wouldn't have probably been willing to do that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like she's, she, no way she would have done that. But uh, anyway, yeah, that was really sweet. You're right. There were so many elements. I mean, it's crazy to say something's perfect, but I really have been letting myself feel that about last night, even though I have such an inclination to be like, Oh, could I have done this? Should I have said this? Should I not have said this, you know, or whatever, but mostly
2: boy, it felt like just perfect. It was consecutive nights of very interesting You're mm-hmm. Gonna Die uh, performances the night before we were in San Quentin. That's and, right. And uh, some, of, some of us went in there with you and you hosted this, I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> it was like yeah. part concert, part open mic, but like, mm-hmm. uh, it was so cool to watch you consecutive nights in completely different environments, different audiences, different uh, purposes for what you were up there to do different like level of understanding from the audience about who you were or what was going on and watch you like stitch it all together and like bring us mm. to a focus, mm-hmm. which I, I feel like is like what your aims are in those moments. Mm, um, yeah. And the one in San Quentin just, just busted me open. I don't. I, I'm not as much of a crier as you, but like mm-hmm. that one, that one got to me there. Mm. Uh, you know, uh people there, inmates in the prison came up throughout the performance and shared stories of their life. And there was some of them that just, it just has this way of like peeling back this mask that you might put on as an artist, as a, whatever your identity is of like, here's some little performance that I do. Here's some little way that I tell my story or present myself. And you just have it like peeled back when there's somebody that is, just telling their story from just a completely different perspective and um, s- different set of privileges and freedoms, and uh, it's just it's just an amazing experience to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so glad you were there,
0: and it's cool to hear you reflect uh, back. We haven't had it. We haven't even had a chance to talk about. Either of the events that we both got to be at um, in the last couple nights. So it's really cool to hear you reflect on that. And for sure, I feel the same way. And I appreciate the acknowledgement for like what my role is in that just like I, I, you know, I feel when I talk with you and and our other musician community, there's this like you're me saying you're so good, like the way you 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 write your songs the way you play them the presence you have in them the way it met, meets and lands in what you I hope to do with you're going to die and what we do with our programming and our our events and then to get all musicians like you too like I last night was talking with you two there
2: I didn't even notice that no you too <laughs>
0: Yeah, they came. They were not allowed on stage. Um, no, they weren't there. But two was there. And uh, two Tran is half of the singer and the songwriter. <laughs> not you. Just two was there. And uh, this is confusing. Um, but uh, let me just bring, bring it all into some kind of sensible comment, which is that talking with you musicians and then having you describe what I do and the ways it's needed in these spaces is so
2: so nice and good for me and well, do you ever me think understand like, it more even yeah do you ever think like on consecutive days of your life in the same basic role and capacity and same organization you're doing these wildly different things and that you you know what i mean like like your function your objectives are similar but then just so different. It's not, there's no, not that you would do this, but there's no possibility of just being on autopilot or going through the motions. It's just like, okay, here's the iron chef moment, put these elements together and make a souffle go. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um,
0: I do like, I maybe like, it's one of those things where if you overthink it, you get farther away from it. But I will say kind of connecting a couple things here, listening to Tongo last night, um, just say his poetry say his words. He yeah, wasn't was reading great. from a book, you know, 15 yeah. minutes straight. And he's like six inches taller than you somehow. He's I had no idea that he was I know, enormous. Right? Towering over me. I made him <laughs> hug me multiple times because I never get to hug people taller than me. Um, but just, just the way he describes how he does it. And I overheard him telling someone else, like it's the muscle memory of it, you know?
2: Mm. And, um, and I'm sure yeah. there's ways you can connect to that. And he your recites own. his poetry, like it's so embedded in him. It feels like we woke him up from a dead sleep and we're like, Tongo poet, poem. It's <laughs> like great. All right. Heaven That's is a great. photo. <laughs> that sound. <laughs> it's like both <laughs> sleepy and like embodied mm, and mm-hmm. totally activated and, Yeah. Like so real for that. Yes. Yes. You're right.
0: And by the way, listeners, just so you know, I didn't say Tongo read poem uh, (laughs) to him to get like, it was far more communication and invitation. Uh, But you're right. It is this kind of uh, coming out of a lumbering, sleeping or meditative uh, body, you know, suddenly these words pour forth and his knowing when to slow down and or, or feeling when to slow down and quiet down and, and and when to get louder and when to yell even some of the words and it just was wild but the way he describes that he just has the words coming forth like muscle memory. I think that's part of what happens to me in these spaces, you know, from like the open mic last Thursday to San Quentin, which is cool. It's cool to talk to you about this. You were there at all three open mic last Thursday with general community in San Francisco's North beach, another little beat connection there, special return to uh, our in-person open mics at the home of, of the show for the last five, six years, the lost church. We, we, we're at that space right before the pandemic. It closed down in the Mission of San Francisco, and a new venue they have now is in North Beach. Definitely worth mentioning that. But who I am in that space, with general community, how I hold that space, and then into San Quentin, you know, the like preacher vibes I feel like I bring down into me that might come from like the years of of, of church back in high school or maybe a past life, something different to then come into a curated space where I'm even, I'm more relaxed. And so I'm like, not having to get up and facilitate. I'm just letting the musicians mostly do what they do. And so then I have these little windows where I get to get up and cry a little bit and get people to laugh and bring people into the space. Like you're right. It is every, every single thing's different, but it's like, Oh, the muscle memory of getting on the bike, like which kind of vehicle I'm getting on, like almost it leads me into this is how I'm suddenly communicating. I'm not really thinking like, all right, so tonight's a concert. Um, how am I going to do this differently than last night? It's just like, get up on stage. Like you get on a, a, a certain vehicle and it just, it just uh, makes the decision for, for me, you know?
2: But do you have any like visualizations or any sense of purpose of like, I'm going to sort of put my arms around this whole room and bring us all together or like get us all to find a center point where we all agree or anything like that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think there's something, yeah. Thanks for that question. I think,
0: I think uh means a lot to to share this. I, I think part of it is like getting to the emotion, you know, like getting an emotion palpable, like like between us. And so then like giving myself, it's like I've been thinking of it as a doorway I'm 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 gonna go through to meet everybody, and that they can come in that doorway to me and this feeling I have more than ever that I can can clarify. With the cancer patient workshops in San Quentin Monday night and the open mic last Thursday is this like that doorway that feeling that way you are like emoting like Raleigh in holy fully in the present moment is the way to each other And so I mm-hmm. think that's what happens It's like I had someone in Ohio describe what I do as kind of a canned speech. But we know it's different every time, right? It's like a different story <laughs> or different words to get there. But the cannedness is this, like, it's a repeated occurrence. Us all coming together, like you said, arms wrapping around everyone and bringing us in closer. And that the first way we do that is me getting to, like, my emotional, like, uh, experience that is undeniable. And so then... um accessible energetically through the listening, through the watching, through the feeling of the audience. And that that is the first thing that brings us in closer. And then, you know, the rest is like the next person who opens up brings us all in even closer or the song you play is the next, like bringing us in closer. Um, I think that's kind of how I think about it. And like, as it is a version of how it might go sometimes like San Quentin, Uh, Monday, having not done that particular kind of thing for a few years, the runway was a little longer for me Mm. with a hundred plus community inside. It took me a longer time to get to where I was like, Oh, I got there. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm crying a little bit, you know, but I'm feeling a lot. And then I know something's landing already. And Mm -hmm. I trust that. And then it's like, all right, let's go. Who's next? You know? Plus you had Bono in the edge
2: sitting right there. Well, he didn't go Quentin,
0: but he told me to just keep him, hold him in spirit. <laughs> um. Uh. Anyway, yeah, lots of good stuff. Good to talk about it here with you, Nick. So glad. And um, just a reminder, Nick's book, Uh, you heard an excerpt from. It is out. Nick, what's the name of your book? How do you want to succinctly invite people to get
2: at it? It's called Spectrum. It's only available at my website, nickjana.com. And um, it's so precious to me that uh, there's really nothing that I can say about it other than if it is calling to you, then you should go find it. Um, yeah. it's, it, it feels like a thing that's outside of the normal realms of like, I got to get this into everybody's hand. I got to give this to Oprah and get it on the mm-hmm. bestseller list. You know, it's just like... It's like a very personal, private spell or dream almost that if it reaches out for you, then you should you should take it. And if not, then then it's all good.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll I'll link up uh, Nick's website in the show notes. So definitely get at it there and all the other things you will find easy access to. In the show notes. And, and just a reminder, yeah, check out our website at YG2D.com. We are getting back, especially in the Bay Area, to a lot of in-person events. Um, we will be doing a mortality uh, workshop, meaning out of mortality at the end of the month here in September. Um, so if you're local, check out the website for that. We also have a grief and healing workshop happening online in October Uh, starting the first wednesday night and going for wednesday nights of october grief and healing with writing and music with chelsea coleman and we again are back at the lost church new location in north beach san francisco uh october 13th i think that date is so come on out to that open mic or also known as maybe more aptly put uh an opening you know an opening, a place to kind of show up, open up and connect with the community. Anyway, thank you, Nick. Thanks for again always endlessly all the work and your presence and all these things. It's been really cool to share so much of what we've been doing this week. Um glad you've been a part of all of it. Yeah, big week. Yeah, thank man. You. Yeah. And love this episode coming out. Just a sweet little note in the midst of a lot of big stuff. Hope you enjoy this episode, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, bye-bye.